you know, sometimes, um, I guess, every day, practically, we face some uncertainties. There's things you, you, you deal with, and, and you wonder about this, and you wonder about that. Um, I can remember um, as a young kid when we were driving to Florida, and, and uh, we lived in Missouri, and we drove all the way to Florida in a, in a VW Bug. <laughs> and, uh, and I was very small back then, but um, not driving. But I remember that, that thing broke down on the way back from Florida. And uh, my dad pulled over, a place that was out in the middle of nowhere, and pulled over to a place, and they didn't have the, the right parts there uh, to fix it. And so they just did the best they could to take what they had and rig something up. And, um, and I remember my dad saying, you know, do you, do you, do you think I'll make it? I don't know. Let's hope so. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, we did the best we could. We actually we made it, and so that was that was good. Um, I remember a time too. My my dad was a carpenter. He had truck business, and he had dozers and heavy equipment, stuff like this. And and I remember one particular time he was pulling it. We were pulling a a, a good sized dozer and um, and a 450 John Deere, and and it's pulling with just a single axle dump truck. And we lived in the Ozarks. And so between us and where we needed to go was a, a huge hill. And uh, my dad had warned me ahead of time and said, listen, son, I don't know if this thing's going to have the power to get us over this hill. And, uh, and so if it doesn't, you be ready. And, um, and so I didn't know what that meant, you know, but I mean, he's, he, was, he was cranking that, that truck at 289 is all it was with a split axle transmission and and uh, I mean, we're going, and I could see the top of the hill. It's about a hundred yards away, and that thing just—it just breathed its last. <laughs> it did all it could. It grinded down to a total halt, and we're on this hill. And uh, Ozark Mountain, my dad jerks that uh, emergency brake on, says, "I need you over here." And so he jumps out of the truck. I jump around the gear shift, trunk hit the jump in the driver's seat, and I'm holding my foot on the other brake. And he jumps out and pulls the ramps out and is unloading a dozer on that hill, you know. And, um, and so everything ended up being okay. But uh, we didn't know if we would make it, and we didn't. <laughs> um, I, was, I was going to give Daniel a little bit of a hard time today. Uh, Daniel won't fly. It's not a secret. Daniel won't fly anymore because one time he had a really, really rough flight, and he promised God if God ever got him down safely, he would never fly again. And so... <laughs> He's keeping his word. Anybody else just not like flying? Anybody else? Come on, be honest. Everybody's got their phobias, all right? There's something about, you know, giving up control. Let me tell you, you're not in control of much anyway, right? But uh, why, why don't we fly? Because we wonder whether or not it'll make it. I remember prior to the recent surgery, when I had surgery on my neck before they did that, they were doing, they were doing numerous tests and, and doing an ultrasound on me and and. and and just trying to find out, you know, just where I was, what was going on. And it, and it made me wonder. <laughs> I felt like if, I, if they felt I was going to make it or not, you know. And, um, you know, I thought about asking them, do you think I want to make it? Do you think I'll make it? But I, I, what I want to hear them say, they're going to go into surgery, is say, no sweat, you know, without question. Nothing to worry about. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Amen. Nobody said that, but I didn't ask them either. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a lot of things we have just questions about, uncertainty over. But how many of you know that concerning the eternal condition of your soul and where you're going to spend eternity, how many of you know that's just not something you just want to question? 
It's not anything you want to leave up for chance. I don't know about you. I don't. Do you? And, uh, <laughs> you know, so what, and I just asked, you know, this morning, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of pastor do you want today? Huh? <laughs> what do you want me to say to you? You know, you want me to tell you the truth or, or, uh, or just let you, you know, figure it out and just hope for the best. <laughs> How do you want, you want the truth, you know? You know, you always say, pastor, you think I'll make it? Well, it's possible, <laughs> you know, or, uh, or uh, you know, I, I think you got a good shot, <laughs> huh? You want me to tell you everything's fine if I feel in my heart and what I what, what I sense and see according to the word of God, maybe not be lining up. How I many know we need to know the truth here? You want to know the truth? Your soul's at stake, and it's nothing that we want to gamble with. We're not gamblers, right? And, um, and so there's nothing short of just we want to be certain. And people say, question, you know, well, can we know? Yes, we can. And I'll, I'll share there's a, a lot of scriptures I'm going to refer to this morning, or several. And let me just begin with this one, and it's 1 John 5, 13. And John writes, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How many of you are thankful that God made a way for us to know that we have eternal life? That we don't have to go through this life wondering, questioning, am I going to make it or not, you know? And uh, it was a great comfort, you know, going into surgery and they're getting ready to put the mask on, you know, the gas, and you know you're going to go out and think, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'll wake up on this side or the other side, but Lord, I commit my life to you all over again. Amen. <laughs> I'm relying on you, Jesus. Amen. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. And... Um, and just have total confidence in Him. How many know that makes a difference? Right? So, um, we too can have confidence in, in our salvation. And, and let me just say here, first of all, Pastor, we're talking about salvation. Um, we're talking about the fact that God said in the beginning, you know, that sin brings forth death. He told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of the, fruit of the, uh, 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 the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And uh, there was a physical death that would take place, but some other death took place immediately, and that was spiritual death. And the, so that's what we're talking about, all right? Talking about salvation, being born again, being made alive again spiritually, made alive in the Lord. And so we're talking about salvation and, and, and being sure. And, um, and so I'm, I'm just going to title this message, maybe help you remember, um, Do You Think I'll Make It? <laughs> look at your neighbor. Look at Nicole. Look at your neighbor. Look at me the eye. Tell us it. Do you think I'll make it? How many, how many of you have sitting by somebody and said, I don't know? <laughs> or, I hope so, right? <laughs> you know, they, I realized that they, they did the test there at the hospital, not so that I would question. They did the test on me to bring assurance, to bring confidence. They said, we're going to do this so, to be so that we'll know that you're you're in good shape. Yeah, your heart's good. You know, all your vitals are good. Um, we don't see any issue here. We've tested this and we've tested that. Hey, you're good to go. And that's what he said. You're good to go. No problem. All right? And that's why, how many of you know, how, even so much more important, infinitely more important, is how are you spiritually? How is your walk with God? Are you, how's your relationship with God? Are you saved or are you not? There's no kind of sort of. All right? So let me dive into this, and, and we'll, we'll talk about these things. So we, too, can have confidence in our salvation when we apply certain things, certain tests to ourselves 
we can be certain of our salvation when it's based on what God said, right? When it's based on what God said. Yes, people, are you going to heaven? Yeah, well, they might give a lot of different reasons why they're going to heaven. How are you getting to heaven? Is it based upon what God said? Is it based upon what Buddha had to say? Um, a lot of other religions, they don't know what's happening to them either. You know, they just, you know, they're just going to go through reincarnation and they might turn into a mosquito. They might turn into a horse. They might turn into whatever. And eventually, hopefully, one day they'll find themselves in the right place. And um, just what kind of life is that? You know, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, but, but we can know and we can have confidence when it's based on what God said. And it says this, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad for that? That's the word of God. And God cannot, does not lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And that's God's word. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means anyone. Look at your neighbor and say, that means you. Right? It's anyone. No matter what you've done, no, or, or no matter where you're from, no matter any specific detail about you, whosoever includes everybody. It includes all of us. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice, is that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. It's important that we call upon Him. Now, we believe in and we practice here at, in, in our faith and our fellowship, we practice baby dedication. And I want to clarify what that is. It's different than what some faiths believe. Some faiths believe that when they do baby dedication, and for instance, where I was brought up, my mom's side of the family believed that as they baptized me, sprinkled me as an infant, that automatically that I was saved, as an infant, that I was saved, and that everything was all right. We don't believe that. That's not biblical, okay? Because none of us can make a decision for somebody else to be saved. You have to call on the name of the Lord, right? You have to do that of your own free will. And so we practice baby dedication in this sense that we, we're giving that child back to the Lord or believe that they're here because of God's will and we're committing ourselves as parents to say, God, help me, help us to model the ways of God, to, to raise them up in the, in the ways of prayer and the word of God and faithfulness to the house of God around the people of God so that when they come to the age of accountability and they're able of their own to make a choice for God that they will naturally do so because of what they've seen, experienced, been taught and what you know, the, being in the presence of God. Amen? So totally different thing. And so, you know, you can, so just because your parents dedicated you before the Lord doesn't mean that you're saved. That's something your parents did. What about you? How do you know that uh, it, it's not enough that yes, you were raised in church? That you were raised on a, on a pew in, in church? That's not, that's important. There's a lot of things you benefit from that and you receive from that. But how do you know that that doesn't save you? There's no scripture that says, hey, if you raised in church, if you spent so many days in church, if you only missed, you know, five days a year, then you will be saved. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if your parents brought you up and, you know, you spent three years in church or seven years in church, hey, you know, you got it. No. How are we saved? We call upon the name of the Lord. And there has to come a time in our life where we have a conviction, we have the, the awareness and the knowledge that we need something, that we're sinners and we need something, we need a Savior, and we realize that God is that Savior, and we call upon the name of the Lord. 
right? That's why, you know, we see numerous Christian parents send their kids away as a last, last ditch effort to get them saved. They, they see them, they never call on the name of the Lord, they maybe spent the whole life in church, and so last influence or control parents have is kind of some voice maybe in where they're going to go to school or what they're going to do after, and so they send them off to a Christian school or Bible school or some discipleship program in the hopes that somehow there that uh, God will get a hold of them, right? Because they know that there's just something that's off. You and I, all of us, it's up to us to call on the name of the Lord, right? Have you, of your own free will, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you confessed your sins? Have you asked the Lord to come into your life and be your guide, your God, your Savior? If so, this should give you great confidence. Amen? I'm glad to say I have called on the name of the Lord. I've confessed that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus is the only Savior, and I believe He's helped me to live for Him. Amen? I can't do it without Him, and uh, so you're with me on that, right? We can also be certain uh, another test we can be certain when it's based on what Jesus did. The first thing is what God said. The next thing is on what Jesus did. Say what Jesus did. Let me, let me bear with me for a, a few scriptures here because this is so important. Let me read some to you. Um, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. So also, through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. It's through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, have have you, have we put our trust and confidence in the work of Christ, or do we trust our own efforts? Is it my effort? Is it your effort? Is it, is it your works? Is it my works that decides, determines whether we're going to make it to heaven or not? Or are we trusting in the work of Christ? I don't know about you, but I'm trusting in what Jesus did, not what I did. Because I, I, I failed, and there's not a person who's ever lived outside of Christ that has, has not failed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not relying on, on my works. I'm relying on the works of God, on what He did, His performance, what He accomplished. Um, you know, just this thing of that we feel like we can be good enough, and, and certainly, we'll talk a little bit about that later, certainly we want to be good, we want to be Christ-like, that's a part of it. But how many of you know on our best day, you know, we're still not going to measure up. It's not enough. And no matter, no matter what, even if I could manage to live perfectly from this day forward, I've already blown it. Somewhere that's got to happen. One sin separates us from God. I mean, no, Adam and Eve's sin, it was one sin that changed their life. One sin that changed the world. How many, how many murders you got to commit to be called a murderer? <laughs> How many sins do you have to commit to be called a sinner? One, right? And so we've all sinned. And so we need a Savior. And so I'm relying upon Jesus Christ, none of my good works. The, the prophet Isaiah said, All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags or as polluted garments. And so, but there's still something in us that we try to, 
make it and earn it and if I'm just good enough and, and if I have, some people believe this. They believe if I do more good deeds than I have bad deeds that God's going to weigh them on a scale somewhere. And oh, he did, you know, is it's close, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, 60, 60% versus 40%, you know, 60% good, 40%, you know, it's close. But, but he got it, he's in. I mean, you know, Jesus Christ didn't come to this world uh, because there was some other way for us to get to heaven. He didn't come to this world because he just didn't have anything else to do. He came to this world to save us because we could not save ourselves, right? So it's not a matter about God weighing in some scale whether we had more good works than bad works or anything like that. That's not how it's done, amen? We can't earn our way. It's not by works lest any man should boast. It's not by, you know, hey, if I just give so much money. I'm going to tell you, I had relatives that really took a lot of comfort in the fact of what they gave to the church. And they felt in a sense, and literally, largely, they, they contributed financially and largely kept that church afloat. But friend, you can, you can give tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, of millions of dollars, and it won't do anything to save your soul. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. We're relying upon the work of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he offered himself on the cross and died in my place and in your place. And I'm relying on him. What about you? Amen? So have you put your faith in the obedient, sacrificial work of Christ who gave his life for you on the cross? If so, then that should give you great confidence. Amen? How are you relying on the Lord Jesus? Amen. Praise God. You rely on somebody who did a whole lot better job than you, right? They got, they got it. He got it right. We, we did not. I did not. So, that's that's two things. What what God said, what Jesus did, and then the scripture also mentions it mentions another. We can be certain about our salvation, our eternal state, when it's based on what the Spirit affirms. What the Spirit affirms. Romans 8.16 says this, For His Spirit, the Spirit of God, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The Spirit affirms it. The Spirit confirms it. The Spirit speaks these things to our hearts. And it's great that when other people see it, encourage you. That's important, right? I mean, you, you want pe- people, you want your pastor, you want your parents, you, 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 you want the people around you, you want your friends to notice there's, you know, there's Christ. I, I, I see that in you. I, I, I feel like you're doing good. But how many you know, listen, it is possible to fool people. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And so, you know, for the most of the time, you know, we could probably be accurate in that, and we're thankful. And, you know, if you have godly people around you, that should bring great confidence. But it does not measure up to the confidence we should have in the one that absolutely knows, and that's the Holy Spirit. And when he affirms in our heart that it's well with us and that we are truly saved and that everything's right with us, come on, do you, do you feel the, the, the witness the affirmation of the Holy Spirit inside of you. One of the ways, uh, one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit speaks is, is He gives you peace. There's a peace inside of us. 
and where we just we just know, you know, and you face whatever. There's a peace about it, and um, and now for sure the enemy is always gonna gonna try to shake things up a little bit. And and has anybody come be, any, uh, be honest? Anybody ever questioned sometimes? Well, man, God, I don't even know if I'm saved. The rest of you, you, you repent. <laughs> All right, we, we've done it, especially when we first started off in our walk with the Lord. Oh man, the enemy uses that over and over again. Every time you you tripped up, messed up, said the right wrong thing, you know, uh, thought the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, whatever, you know. I see there, you're not really saved. Is you really saved? You do this, and right? Up, right? You know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you, he doesn't quit. He'll always try to throw that out there every now and again. He even asked Jesus, "If you are the Son of God." <laughs> All right. He, he, these questions. If he has enough courage and guts to question Jesus, you think he's not going to question you? But we have that inner witness of the Spirit. I pray you feel it. Amen. You're saved. There's a peace there. It's like peace. The peace of the Holy Spirit is like an umpire. The umpire calls things for what they are. He calls them balls and strikes, or you know, you're safe or you're out. And when the Holy Spirit's moving and we feel the peace of the Holy Spirit, right? It's like our umpire and he guides us and he shows us. And, and I pray that you sense that this morning. All right? Y'all doing good? Y'all doing good so far? Right? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So the Holy Spirit confirms this. And if we, if we have this, then that should give us great confidence. And I, I want to I share one more. There could possibly be others, but I think these are the four key ones, okay? And uh, the, the final one I'm going to share with you this morning is this, is that we can be certain when it's based on what transformation occurs. There's a transformation that takes place in our, in our hearts. Romans, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the great witnesses to us and to the people around us is when they see an absolute transformation in who we are. They've seen what we used to be, and we come to Christ, and now they see what we are and what we are becoming. And there's an amazing difference. How many, think, how many believe that we ought to be drastically different once we have God living inside of us than what we were when God was not living inside of us? When we have the Holy Spirit alive in us, guiding us, empowering us, than when we were just trying this on our own. How many know there ought to be a huge difference, right? And there is. And there's so many uh, examples in the, in the Scriptures, and I'll give you some New Testament examples. The, the woman at the well, for instance, and Jesus met her, Right? And it came down to, you know, the, I'll call worshipers who worship me in spirit and in truth. And Jesus had to get down to the, the nitty-gritty with her and says, so, hey, call your husband. And, and it was kind of a test. And uh, she gives an answer that was kind of true, just not the whole truth. And she says, yeah, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your own. Oh, man. Right there. How many you know in the, in the process of that conversation, transformation took place? 
and she believes on Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And she went around and began to testify and tell everybody, come see the man who told me everything that I'd ever done. She, was, she turned from being unfaith, from an unfaithful person to be a faithful person. God totally transformed her life. Amen? And that's the power of salvation. It's very practical. God doesn't just, just save us from the penalty of sin. He transforms who we are. All right? And, uh, and, and that's, that's what this is, this is what we're really called to do and what God's, one of God's keys is and the key probably in our life. But transformation, how many remember a man by the name of Zacchaeus? Jesus going in Jerusalem, Zacchaeus wanted to get a peek, he climbed up in a tree because he, was a, he didn't have a man, wasn't a man of much height. And so he climbed up in a tree so he could get a good look. Jesus saw him, calls him out, Zacchaeus this day, I'm going to have, right? I'm going to have dinner in your house. Goes and meets with him and Zacchaeus. What did he do? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And he was bad for being a dishonest person, being greedy, and uh, charged people maybe more tax than what, they, than, uh, than what he should. But he could get away with it because he had the power of Rome behind him and the support of Rome behind him. So that's what he did. But when he came to Jesus, how many know he was changed? And he said, listen, if, I, if, I were, if I've mis, uh, done anybody, I will give them back four times. What I've wronged them. If I have wronged anybody with finances, I'll pay them back four times what I've wronged them, and I will give up to half of what I own, right? And so, you know, I'll, I'm going to pay the debt. How I many know oh, there's transformation? Boy, God really saves you when He gets a hold of your pocketbook. <laughs> Somebody said that's the last thing to get saved is people's pocketbook. But he saved, I mean, there's transformation there. We all, know the, we all know Saul, later known as Apostle Paul, right? And the transformation that, that took place, you know, like Zacchaeus, he turns from this, uh, from this greedy person to this generous person, you know. Uh, the woman at the well turned from this, this uh, unfaithful woman to a faithful woman. And you turn to the apostle Paul, and he turns from this persecutor to, of the church to a church planner. And, um, and, and God transformed him. He transformed his life. He was on his way to, to take, carry off Christians and to take them into court and to have them imprisoned or even worse. But God came down, Jesus' light shone around him, and God got a hold of, of Saul's heart and saved him. And he called on the name of the Lord, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and transformation took place. Saul went down to the ground one man, but he got up another. It happens just like that. Right? The power of God. The power of God. How many of you can testify to God's transforming power? You were one way, but instantly you gave your heart to the Lord and God made you into another person. It's interesting. We had, there's a, a great, great speaker, pastor that was speaking this week. And, um, and he had some great, great stories, analogies. One of them that stood out, I was reminded of it I was, I was thinking about this transformation. And he, and he, he talked about a, a lady who had, um, who was, she just felt men were stupid, and so she used them to pay her way through school. And um, ended up, she was she was a stripper. Through a series of events, comes to church. You could imagine that some of the people in the church how what they had to say about her coming to church dressed that way. That's what church is all about: helping people who need Jesus. Amen. 
She gets saved. She gets saved. God just gets a hold of her life. And uh, right after that, pastor, he said his, his phone rings. <laughs> he picks it up and he looks at wife. It's the stripper. <laughs> you know, and didn't know, I don't know how to answer a stripper. He didn't know how to answer a stripper. It's a stripper. And his wife said, well, answer her. He said, uh, hello? <laughs> and, uh, and she said, he says, this pastor? She said, yeah, yeah, it's pastor. He said, um, said I was reading the Bible the other day. It said, it said that, that God lives in my body. Have you ever read that scripture before, pastor? She said, yeah, yeah, I have. So God really lives in my body? Yes, as a Christian, God lives in your body. And she said, you know, I don't think I can do with my body what I used to do with my body if God lives in my body. Because it's the Holy Spirit. And he teaches us and helps us to live holy, to live Christ-like. Listen, look at, look at me. God's will for you and you and you and you and you, every one of us in here as Christians, is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Bottom line. Sometime, I, I really need to spend some time talking about this thing because, folks, the sexual perversion that's happening in our country is unprecedented. The darkness, and that's one of the ways the enemy is really fighting. But let, let me tell you something. Listen, people talk about strippers. Let me say, if, if you're not honoring God with your body, and you're engaged sexually outside of marriage, you're no different than that stripper. You told me when I first started, pastor tells the truth, tells the way it is. Am I telling you the truth? Or you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Oh, it's okay. God's grace will cover it. Boys will be boys. Nobody's perfect. I could tell you that, but I'm not helping. Are you hearing me? And listen, we're living in a, in a time today where there's nobody blushing over anything. And we're making excuses for each other and our sins to make our, one another feel comfortable. Folks, if what I'm telling you is not from God, then you throw it away. But what if, if what I'm telling you is from the Lord, then take heed. Even... A girl who's just been saved, lived all that kind of life, reads the scripture of herself without Sunday school, without Bible studies, without years of being in preaching, understands in a few days after reading scripture, a few moments, understands you can't live that way when God lives inside of you. And so one of the tests is what transformation has occurred in your life? Are you being transformed in the image of Christ? Now, truth, you may not have arrived. There may be some things you're working on. I think we all will. One day, we will be like him when we see him as he is. But there ought to be those evidences, amen, and there's things that are, that are obvious, and we got to forsake them. When you're saved, God will change your language. He will change the way you think. 
He'll change how you do things. He will change your motivation. He will change your. He will. He will change how you deal with your body, including sexuality. God does not ignore sexual sin. Come on, y'all with me? And so this is one of the evidences. So are you? Are you saved? The evidence and transformation in your life. Now. Now, these are pretty drastic, aren't they? You talk about the woman at the well. You talk about, uh, you talk about Zacchaeus, you know, just robbing people. You talk about Saul, Paul. Just, you talk about this lady who was a stripper. And, but you're like, you know, I, <laughs> I haven't really seen that kind of transformation. I grew up, I grew up in church. I didn't really, I, I've not been unfaithful sexually. I've not done those things. I've never been drunk in my life. I've never taken drugs in my life. I've never done that. I don't know about transformation. How do you know there are still deep transformations that happen when you come to know the Lord? And I'll give you an example. You know, Peter, James, and John, who Jesus chose, transformation happened in them also. Peter needed Jesus, and God began transforming him. You find find Peter sinking when he should have been standing. You find Peter sleeping when he should have been praying. You find Peter swearing when he should have been witnessing. Am I telling you the truth? And so he is wishy-washy all over the place. If you were looking at him as a model, man, he would kind of give you a mixed message. I mean, he denied Jesus three times in one evening and said, I will go to bat for you, Jesus, even if it, give, if, even if it costs me my life, and denied him three times and in order to prove himself, began to pick up that salty fishing language and began to cuss like a sailor to cover it up. You see, nobody's left out here. What about James and John? Oh, man, they, they were so godly. They were, they were just, oh, they were interested in themselves. They just wanted to have the best seat when Jesus came to his kingdom. Hey, Jesus, hey, listen, can you let me and my brother sit on your right and on your left? You know, I know we're more special than everybody else. No church people ever believe that. <laughs> they believe that. They're so self-centered. They were just focused on them. And we're not careful, folks. We stay in this thing. We'll just be focused upon us, and we'll look down our noses at somebody else, and we're just thinking, what about me? What about me? Me, me, me. I mean, one, of, one of the things, one of the examples I came to mind, but... Uh, the pastor talked about, um, you know, people turning notes and said, and, and they had, this church had, a, they had a service on, on, on Saturday night, like at 6 o'clock. They had a service on Sunday morning at um, 8, and they had one at 9.30, and had one at 11, and somebody calls in and, and, and asks, and says, Pastor, listen, my schedule's this, my schedule's that. Could we please possibly have a service at 9 o'clock in the morning? Some of you didn't get that. I mean, you know, it's really like a selfish thing to do. you got four options, and you want this entire church, you know, to change. For you, we can become real selfish. You see, even when you grow up in church, you haven't committed some of those big sins. Those other sins got to be dealt with, too. And transformation has to take place, and we got to move from a self-centered attitude and mentality to a God-centered attitude and mentality. So these, these are tests. God's will is for every Christian to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. So does your life, does my life, 
look like Christ. Not just what we, on Sunday morning, oh, man, we look pretty much like Jesus, <laughs> right? We all dressed up. We look good. We're all fine. We got a smile on. Everybody's, nobody's fussing and fighting. Not you get out in the parking lot in the car. Then you can let that and go at each other. And I won't ask anybody, but you could have been fussing and fighting before you ever came in here. You know, hey, we're at church now. Come on, pipe down. <laughs> Let's go in here. We've got to go in the house of God. Oh, come on. It happened. My wife and I have fought before for church, but guess what? We've got to settle it. Oh, we can't minister. <laughs> right? Honey, I'm so sorry. I should have said it that way. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, right. Come on. Y'all with me? We're real. It doesn't mean, when I say this, it, it but it doesn't mean that you never sin if you've been saved, but it's not your regular practice or habit. If you sin, people are like, oh, man, I can't believe you did that. And you're saying to yourself, I can't believe I did that. You're saying, oh, God, forgive me. Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that that way. I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have honked back at that guy. You know, I, I, I shouldn't have done this or that or whatever. I, I just remember a dream last night just popped up, and, I, and it was some godly person who happened to drive by me and, and waved at me with one finger. <laughs> and I thought, I can't believe he just did that. And it was a dream. But there's nobody in this church, so everybody, everybody feel good, all right? But folks, listen. When we're really saved, there's transformation that takes place. And there's things that we might used to have done that we don't do. Or if we fell in some area, we are so ashamed of that. And, and we're immediately changing, saying, God, forgive me and help me not to do that again. And we're putting up fences or roadblocks to help us to not do that. Right? Let me say, let me go back to the sexuality piece for a minute. And we're going to get to that someday. But listen. It's not only the act itself, but it's the looking. It's the looking. Right? So anyway, I'll just say that. We're called to be like Christ. The spirit of, uh, right? the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Right? Faithfulness, self-control, those types of things. And so, Lord, help us to reflect Christ. I remember I was reading some, some things, and it was a leader from India. And he said, if, if you Christians would live, live like Christ, India would bow before him tomorrow. A Muslim leader came and said, if, if, we, would see if we would see Christ in Christians, Islam would not exist. Folks, listen. America's not being transformed because too often we're seeing Christians come in and make a shallow confession of Christ or they're leaning upon something that their parents did for them when they were kids and they're not, they don't have a real changed life. They believe in Jesus Christ, but let me tell you what, Satan and his demons believe in Jesus Christ too, but they're not saved. It's got to be backed up. Amen? But they make this shallow confession. Maybe they were baptized in water somewhere that they don't even hardly remember. And they go on living a life that's no different than anybody else in Tipton County or Lauderdale County or Shelby County or Fayetteville County. They just live and look like pretty much like everybody else except they go to church now and again and they give some money in the offering. Friend, if that's all you've got, good luck to you. I'm asking you, 
How certain are you? Put yourself to the test. And it's not me to judge you. You judge you. It's your, it's your life. Amen? So apply it. And if the Holy Spirit is putting someone in your life and bringing conviction to you right now, I urge you to call on the name of the Lord. Friends, you can look around us and you can see this thing is wrapping up. Jesus is coming back. If you can't see things pulling apart at the seams, which God told us would happen, it's happening all around us. Live ready. Live ready. Amen? Live ready. I'll read it again. These things, John says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So what is God saying to you as you apply these four tests this morning? What do you, being honest with yourself, right? Are you ready? Some of you are saying, oh, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I... I'm mostly sure. I feel like I get a good shot. Or I know. I know. Because I've called on the Lord. Because I've confessed Jesus and I'm relying on Him. I know because I sense the witness of the Spirit. And I know because I see the continual transformation in my life that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to do because I love Him. And I want to do it. There's a desire in you to do it, all right? You apply those, and they fit. You can leave with confidence. If not, pray and let God do a work 